Easter, everyone. We are blessed to be together, but not together here today on this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead that he arose. And his love is greater, his love is stronger. And that day, 2,000 years ago, God raised him up and awoke him, just like he did many of us. So we are celebrating here today, and I'm just glad that you're here. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we give you praise and we give you all the glory and honor. As we celebrate on this day, we celebrate the greatest, greatest happening in all of history, where you raised your son Jesus from the dead, 
gave him life, and by giving him life that he paid for sin and death, that we have eternal life and can be present with you. And so he has risen, and as people said, he has risen, he has risen indeed from the earliest part of Christianity. God, we come together wherever we are, worshiping your name, with Christians all around the world, giving praise to the risen Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and death. And for that, God, we give you praise here and in all things. And everybody, shout it to the rooftops, says amen and amen. We're glad that you are joining us online today. I wish you were here so I could see your nice smiling faces. I'm kind of dressed in, in kind of some Easter garb. Um, hopefully you are, but if you're just in your slippers or your pajamas, hey, go for it and all that good stuff. We are going to continue to worship God now as we're going to go ahead and, and sing together. Stand where you are. Give him praise. A resurrection means stand up. So I'd love if you can in your own house. I know it's a little weird, but hey, the scripture tells us that we are a peculiar people and let's get even more peculiar. Let's just stand up. Let's sing to the top of our lungs. Let's wake the neighbors. Let's wake, uh, let's rattle the windows and let's sing. When death was arrested, that's when my life began. Let's worship him right now. sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over.
some people for prayer during this week. Again, we want to continue to keep in our prayers all those on the front lines of this uh, battle against COVID-19. We want to lift up the medical staff, research and development, those leaders that we have, and anyone who is ill right now with COVID-19. We also want to lift up Jennifer Legullo and her family and the passing of her father, Richard, and her stepmom, Lana, um, Keep her in your prayers as she tested positive this week for COVID-19 on Tuesday, has been on a ventilator and sedated, and she has no idea that her husband passed away. So please lift uh, Jennifer and the family in your prayers as well. Also, we want to lift up uh, Mike Burdenka. Mike's wife, Janie, passed away this week as well. Continue to lift him in your prayers. Um, and also... Um, the family of Phil Johnson. Um, many may not know the name, but you know many may know Walnut Springs uh, Farm in Fair Hill. Uh, Phil and his wife Ruth Ann ran that for years, and Ruth Ann um, was a librarian in accounting for many years. Phil also passed away this last week, and so we ask for prayers to be with uh, Ruth Ann, uh, their their children Molly, um, Betsy, and Ross, that they will go ahead and God will be with them 
in the midst of the, this um, trying time. And so we also want to uh, go ahead and lift up, continue uh, prayer uh, for our COVID-19, uh, our Unite 714 prayer. So I'm going to begin to pray, and then we're going to touch on some announcements and continue with our, our worship here today. Pray with me, if you will. Psalm 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So, Lord, we humbly call upon your name and asking for supernatural peace and strength. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul speaks of spiritual power in prayer. As we today are fully engaged and armed for battle against COVID-19, your word says that when we pray according to your will, our prayers are mighty and powerful. You are our rock, our shield, our fortress. Lord, protect our families, our churches, our cities, our nations from the effects of COVID-19. And we ask that you put words of faith, fresh words of faith, and comfort, and healing, and salvation in the mouths of your people all around the world. Give pastors and their congregations the words they need to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. We pray through this prayer of faith today that fear and worry will lose its grip all over the world. And so, Lord, we ask you to shield our families and our churches, our cities, our nations, and every place else from the ravages of this disease. Lord, we ask for your shield for all doctors, nurses, first responders, and vulnerable people who are, and those who are contracting COVID-19. And Lord... We ask you to shield the world from panic and despair as your church boldly proclaims, especially this day, the good news of our risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and death once and for all. In these uncertain times, we pray that people may find true comfort and peace for their souls as they call upon your name. We ask that you be with Jennifer Legullo and her family, be with her stepmother as they, as they all come to know, as she comes to know that her husband passed away and she's struggling and dealing with COVID-19. For Mike Berdinka, who's dealing with the loss of his wife, comfort him and their entire family in their loss. And for Ruth Ann Johnson as, and family as they deal with the loss of Phil and the, his community and church family and the farming communities. Lord, there are so many others that are dealing with the exact same things. And we know and we trust that the risen Savior and Lord will come to their need and help them. So we humbly ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And we say, Amen and Amen. So many things, so many things going on and so many... Uh, things that we can look at in the midst of our world and just be, be like, wow, what's going on here? And let's keep our eyes on Jesus and he will get us through this. We do have a couple announcements as we're going into our service. Today we're going to continue with our, our, uh, our series. We're going to wrap it up today, our series, Who is Jesus? 
and it is actually the seventh message in the series, and it's been a really fitting series uh, for me, and I hope for you as well, that we really, really have been able to come to know Jesus. I do want to make a couple announcements, though. Again, we'd love for you to get connected still in email or text or both and get connected that way. You can also, and I want to thank you all for your giving online, that the giving is continuing, giving to special needs like Miriam's Table and to other areas, but also to the general needs of the church that allow us to keep doing the things we need to do in the ministries that Christ has called us to. Also, um, you can check out, if you go to, um, and everybody's online today, so uh, you can open up a new tab and open it up if you're not watching online through our website. Um, go ahead to www.havencc. Org, and if you'll hit there, there's a couple things that I want to draw to your attention. We do still have our COVID-19 page. And if you click on watch what Pastor, uh, Pastor Jack's message, you click on that. It'll open up several of the resources. Also at the top, there are the resources of the weekly prayer. The prayer I shared today uh, is the prayer that we have for 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 in the evening. I pray that you are doing that and joining with me in that. And then uh, there's some other resources on there if people are in need and if we're able to help with uh, due to COVID-19, we want to go ahead and do that. Another avenue is uh, you can check this out. I'd love for everybody to do this. Last year, uh, and we've been giving out, on Easter, we've been giving out a card. And it was a response card and a survey. One of those things are if you want to update your information. You can go ahead and do so. And if you were here, I would pass out a card to you right now. But I can't pass out a card online. So we have this online. Um, you can update your information there, but there is also a survey. That survey is very, very important because I want to hear your opinions. Uh, you don't hear churches and pastors usually say those things. Usually we try not to hear people's opinions. But I want to hear your opinions. And on there, there's a list um, you can see right on there, it says annual Easter survey and response card. You click on that, it'll take you a little bit, of, not, not much time at all, to fill it out and you just check. There's some avenues where you can say, hey, um, one of those things is, I'd love to hear a message about, or I'd love to know more about. And so you can go ahead and you can click on those. And if you remember last year, I took your responses and in the fall... I went ahead and planned a sermon series called You Wanted to Know, and we shared those in that sermon series. So I need your help to tell me what you want to hear ser uh, services or messages about. Also, what are some other things that we can do? At the very bottom of that, you can go ahead and wait till the end of the service um, for the, to fill out the card, because at the bottom, it is a, a commitment of where you are in your spiritual journey. And I hope that today no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that God is calling you to take a step up, to resurrect some areas maybe in your faith, and to really head in a direction that Christ has called you to. So please go ahead and, and fill that out. A couple other things real quick. We have two ministries that reach out to those less fortunate that we participate with. One is Parish Foundation. That will be next week. And what they're asking for is um, they're doing... Uh, they're doing uh, some dinner and so lunch and dinner, and that information is on our um, website. But they're asking, looking for volunteers um, for helping put together bag lunches because that's what they're doing since pe people can't be together. And then also, you'll, um, the same thing for volunteers to put together bags for community kitchen, and that will be in May 
first. So those are the uh, messages that we have today, and we just thank God for continuing us in those ministries, even though we can't be together, and really not many places can, all right? So today, we are going to once again continue with the sermon series and wrap it up, the series of Who is Jesus. And our theme verse for this one last time, our theme verse is simply this. It comes from 1 Corinthians. And it says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it, and I love this term, plain and simple. First, Jesus, who he is, And then, Jesus, what he did, Jesus crucified. Let's say that again in your house. Say it with me. First, Jesus, who he is, and then Jesus, what he did, Jesus crucified. So during this series, we sought to just pull away all the stuff. All the stuff that religion has tacked onto it. All the warped kind of mentalities that people have attached to Jesus. And We just want to get to who Jesus is and what he did and and Jesus crucified, and that's what we want to talk about. Week one, we talked about Jesus is my BFF, my best friend forever. Week two, when this COVID thing really kind of hit us at, at the first part, we went ahead and we shared Jesus as a miracle worker and as a healer. Week three, Debbie came and shared Jesus as my teacher as the teacher. One of my favorite weeks and one of my favorite views of who Jesus is was Jesus, my shepherd. And then last week in church, we talked about Jesus. Who is is Jesus? Jesus is coming again. We talked about praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. On Good Friday, we shared in exactly what Jesus did. Jesus crucified. And we joined together in many ways to talk about Jesus, the Lamb. The Lamb of God who was slaughtered for your and my sin. So where do you go with us today? Today I'm going to go to who is Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've taught this sermon before. I've been a pastor. This is probably my 24th or 25th Easter as a pastor. And so I have talked about the resurrection and the life. Even though this verse where we hear him say, I am the resurrection and life, does not come at the resurrection. It comes before that. And yet, here we are talking about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, and yet today, churches all over the world are empty. Easter's a little bit different today. It has been celebrated for 2,000 years, plus, where we say, he is risen. And we are still celebrating that, thanks to technology here today. And so in this message today, I really want to start, before we get into the resurrection and life, I'm going to start where I am and where many of you are today. Some of us may be tired of looking at our four walls in our house. We may even be tired of looking at the people that are um, bumping up against each other, not too close, in the four walls of our house. We may be discouraged 
We may be frustrated. We may be sick and tired of feeling like life is out of control. We have great amounts of fear and anxiety. And there's just so much uncertainty in the world. Will this be the week that we can go back to normal? Will it be months from now? Is this the new normal from now on? Is every Easter going to be like this now? So the question is this. How do I talk about Jesus, the resurrection and the life, when our lives are so out of control during this time? In order to do so, I want to go to a verse from Matthew chapter 26. This is a verse that seems like it would be more fitting on Good Friday, but without Good Friday, we don't have Easter Sunday. So I want to share this. It's before the crucifixion. Jesus is at a Seder meal with his disciples. They are, he knows what's going to happen. He's celebrating the Seder meal and he's changing the liturgy when he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Imagine the emotion that's going through him when he knows what he's about to face. He's dipping into the same bowl as somebody he considered a friend who is going to betray him with the ultimate betrayal. He then takes the cup and says, this is my blood shed for you and for many, knowing what this is going to mean. And you imagine the disciples like, what are you talking about? And then Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, not me, not me. And yet he knows what's going to happen. After that, we hear they sing and they pray and they go off to a place they went to a lot of times, a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press or crushing. They went off to a place of crushing. And what did they do? They were praying and praising, keeping their guard up, praying and praising, keeping it up there so that whatever came their way, Jesus said, pray so you won't fall into temptation to his disciples. And so he had them pray, and here he is. In verse 38, he says to his disciples, the ones who are there to pray, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Some of us may be there right now. Some of the people that I lifted on our prayer list and others that you may know of may feel that way now that their soul is so overwhelmed to the point of death. You see, Jesus is in such agony because he knows what's about ready to happen. One of the other gospel writers tells us that Jesus was in such agony in the midst of the garden that anguish had come upon him that the blood vessels in his head began to to break and it began to mix with the sweat and droplets of blood fell to the ground. So Jesus says to his disciples, stay here and watch with me. And then it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed. You know, we're so conditioned in, in modern day prayer to 
put our hands together, maybe have our hands up, close our eyes and bow our heads. Jesus not only got on his knees, but he fell prostrate, straight on his face. This is a tradition in many, many uh, faiths. And in the Jewish faith, it is an attitude of submission to the Lord. That, that you, you just need, you need an answer. You need something. And so you just fall face down. You go to your knees and just go face down. And he's face down to the ground, submitting to God in prayer. And here's the prayer he lifts up. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What is he talking about, the cup? This cup of suffering that he knew he was going to endure. And he says, if there is any other way possible, can you take it from me? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Two things there. Hold on to these. If and yet. And then he returned. And his disciples, who were supposed to keep their guard up by praising and praying, were asleep. Now some of you may have been like me. Sometimes you're praying or sometimes somebody else is praying and they're praying so long you may doze off a little bit. Maybe that's what happened to them. I don't know. They were tired. But Jesus comes to them. And after he is in such agony and pain and suffering, he gave them one job to do. Stay awake and pray. And they're... Can you imagine what went on in his, in his heart and his spirit? It probably fell even more so. Think about this as an interesting point. Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus could raise the dead. He could heal the sick. He could cast out demons. He could calm the storm. He could make the blind see. But he couldn't control his disciples from sleeping. Isn't that amazing that all the things that Jesus did, he couldn't get them to stay awake in his time of greatest need and prayer? So I want to ask you a question right now. And this is going to get a reaction from your family in your house and anybody you're sitting with. And if you're on Facebook Live, I want you, or some way that you can share it with social media, I want you to raise your hand or say, me. How many of you like to be in control? How many of you like to be in control? And, and I better look later and see comment upon comment. And I'm going to tell you, guess what? If you're sitting in a room with somebody who likes to be in control and they're in so much control, they don't want to do what I'm asking them to do, you, you raise their hand for them, okay? And so, you know, there's that type that lives in, in me, that there's a type. I have been at places before. One of the worst things that I've ever done is when I go on spiritual retreat weekends, I am a pain in the rear end because they just say, don't worry about anything. Just go ahead and set everything. Don't try to figure anything out. Just let God speak to you. 
And I can't do that. I'm trying to figure out three steps ahead what somebody's doing. And when I get to the third step, I'm trying to find six steps ahead. And then I'm wondering why they did that. Because guess what? Jack likes to be in control of things. Oh, I can work with people, and I can work for people. But when I've worked for people, my mind's constantly saying, I'd do this a different way. Or maybe I should ask them, do you want us to do it a different way? I'm always thinking. I'm always wanting to be in control. Now, for those of you who are honest, thank you, thank you. You don't have to worry about anything. For those of you who did not raise your hands, um, I realize that you may not be in trouble, but you may not be a controlling person. You may be somebody who's just a persistent helper. You persistently help people. You are uh, completely organized and decide to completely organize everyone else's life. And you are suggestively guiding others' lives throughout there. So let's call it that. In other words, you are control freaks. And anybody who is controlling... These times right now are driving you absolutely insane. You are so frustrated and you're losing your mind because you can't control any of this anymore. You get aggravated. You hate when you walk in the grocery store and see those arrows going one way. You hate to see people avoid you like the plague. You hate the fact that you're looking at the same people every day. You've seen everything there is on TV. You've looked at every single DVD you ever had. And you're about stir crazy. And you've seen every meme there is online. You have said everything you possibly could. And you cannot control anything. And it's driving you insane. And so in our COVID-19 Easter world, I think there's a lot of emotional frustration. There's a lot of anxiety and fear. There's a lot of dread. And there's a lot of grieving. There's grieving for, yes, people who are sick. There's grieving for people, for those of us who've lost their jobs. There's grieving for those, as we shared today, who have passed away or struggling with those things. But one of the things I think that we're grieving that we haven't really looked at is we're grieving our loss of control. We're grieving the fact that we wanted to go to that restaurant and we can't go. We're grieving that we were supposed to go to prom this year. We're grieving that we can't graduate from college or can't graduate from high school, maybe not be able to. We're grieving that the wedding plans that we had, we can't go to. We're grieving that the people who have died, we can't even have a funeral for. We're grieving the fact that baseball season should be started and that we should be in the playoffs of hockey and of the NBA. We're grieving that we can't make our travel plans that we had and our vacations may be done and we don't even know when we could have that or even if we can afford that. We're grieving the fact that we can't see family members or we can't go see our, particularly today, that we can't be with our parents and we stay away from them because it may be a risk to their health and we don't ever want to do that. Some of us are grieving because we're tired of seeing empty shells with no toilet paper. And some of us are grieving because we all need haircuts 
And some of you, go ahead right now, post your horrible haircut. Please do so. And we will, we will judge the worst hair, haircut. Maybe we'll throw you a toilet paper roll or something. I don't know. You know, we are grieving this loss of control that we have. But, you know, really it's not a loss of control. There was actually a UCLA researcher who says the, it's, the issue is not control. The issue is what they called an illusion of control. And she defines it this way. The illusion of control is the cognitive bias that leads us to believe we have control over outcome when in reality we don't. In other words, we believe that we can control everything, but we never really have been able to control many things. The problem is this, though. The more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control. And the more we're afraid of losing control, the more we get afraid, and the more afraid we are, the more we try to take control back. So you may take control in little ways in the houses, and you're grieving this illusion of control in your lives. And what does Jesus teach us about this? In Matthew 26, after he found them sleeping and talks to them, in Matthew 42, it says, he, Jesus, went away a second time. What was Jesus doing? Remember, he said, if you can take this away, that's my hope and wish. Yet, Not my will, but yours. That is an act of surrender. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is surrendering a second time. Sometimes we learn that surrendering is not always a one-time thing. And he prayed this. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I want to tell you something. You don't always have the power to control. None of us always have the power to control. But we always have the power to surrender. So the question is this time that many people are asking. I've heard people in every facet ask this question. I've seen interviews with people like Pastor Rick Warren and other people, where they said, where is God? In this COVID-19 world, with this pandemic that has, has changed lives, has, has robbed people of life and joy and many other things, where is God? We, that leads to other questions. Did he cause it? Does he allow it? Will he use it? And the big question we're asking is this. Where is God when life gets really difficult? When life gets very hard, where is God? Interestingly enough, and this is not in your bulletin, this is extra here for you today. It is Easter, so I'm giving you extra stuff. Researchers have done studies off of 
people if, that are 30 years of age and younger, younger people. And predominantly what they've looked about is their understanding of God and religion. And they came up with a term for this, and I'm going to put it up here so that you can see it. People under 30, their baseline religious understanding of God and their baseline religion is this, moralistic, therapeutic deism. So use that in a sentence and impress some people. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Let's unpack these words. Moralistic means that people say that religion is here so that I can become a good moral person. So it exists that I can become a good person and be nice. Therapeutic. That religion and faith are there to help you improve your life. That if I have it, I'm just going to be a, a better, I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to have a, a better, better stuff around me. It, and with that, by having faith in God, the belief is, again, predominantly many 30 years of age and younger, is that my life is going to be better, it's going to be happier, and that I'm not going to have any problems in life. It's going to be skipping through the daisies, and it's going to be easier and better. And deism, this simply means that God is real, but God is not involved in the day-to-day things. That God set this emotion and just kind of kicks back and watches things happen. Now, God only intervenes when you really need him. So basically, what we have is the predominant belief in God and in faith in people 30 years of age and younger. Now that I realize that's not everybody, but it's the dominant one, is that a regularly uninvolved God exists to make our lives better. So this God who is disconnected, that occasionally kicks in to our lives when we need him, exists to just make my life a better life. And so faith for me is for me to have a happy, healthy, comfortable, no trouble, no worry life. But that leads to a huge problem. The problem is, how does this MTD, which they call it, MTD God, fit when life is difficult and hard? Well, there's two answers to that. If God wants me that way, happy and healthy and no problems, then there's two things that happen. God failed, or I've done something wrong. And both of those things are a warped view of God. It's not who Jesus is. That's why you'll hear people say, you know what, I tried church. I tried to pray. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to be a good person. And yet, it didn't work. Life was still difficult. I have had, over the years of ministry, I remember having people call me on the phone People who I thought were were good Christian people. And they were good people. They were nice. They were loving. They wanted to do the right thing. They connected to God and just seemed to love him. But their life got difficult. I've had them call me crying and screaming and sometimes even cursing. Just saying, what's going on here? I'm trying to serve God and yet stuff is happening to me. 
Why? Because the belief is in this moralistic, therapeutic deism of a God that either God has failed me when my life gets difficult, or I'm doing something wrong. And what people usually come to the conclusion is, I ain't doing nothing wrong because I'm going by the book of what I'm supposed to do. So God has failed me. And if God fails me, then I want nothing to do with him. And so we end up, interestingly enough, like many on that first Easter. Do you know that there was no people gathered in worship on that first Easter? There weren't people saying, Christ the Lord has risen today. There weren't people saying, he has risen, he has risen indeed. No, the people who were closest to him were much like we are today. Afraid, fearful, locked away in our houses. Now, they were fearful for a different reason. But that fear was still very real to them as it is to many of us here today. You see, we feel like God is MIA. The early disciples felt, I followed this. Because God wasn't there. They, I gave up my life. I followed him. I laid down my fishing nets. I did all this. I laid down my tax collector. And man, he died. And now I might die. You see, they were grieving the illusion of control. And had an if mindset. If you'll do this, then I'll follow you. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time today is this. I want to go ahead and go to John chapter 11. The story of a man named Lazarus. Jesus and his disciples are in there. This is where Jesus mentions, I am the resurrection of life. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they were kind of like Jesus' extra family. They were so close that they became family. And so here's what we pick up. Here in chapter 4, I mean chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, (coughs) the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, The one you love is sick. Listen to what they say there. The one you love is sick. There's bad news in the midst of a good life. There's bad news that has hit them. And guess what? They can't do anything to control it. They can't get him better. Although they want to and they would do whatever they could, Mary and Martha can't do anything to get him better. So they cry out to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, the one that you love. In other words, they were so close. He was like a brother to him. He's sick. You see, they have this challenge of the illusion of control. If Jesus just comes, then he'll be better. And many of us have stepped into situations where we feel helpless and we love to control and make them better. 
I remember when Rachel first had her migraines, and every time that she has them, that she's hospitalized, I would do anything I could in my power to take those away from her. And you talk about a helpless feeling. I remember the first time when she was just a little kid, and some of you remember, you were, we had church then in the middle school, that we thought it was a stroke. And later she would have one. Thank God it didn't make super lasting effects on her life. But I remember her in the back of our van that we had at the time, watching a video she's watched 4,000 times, asking her questions about this stupid kid video, and she couldn't answer them. I remember asking her the names of all her siblings, and she couldn't get them all out. And at that moment the helplessness as a father that I felt was so weighty on me. The helplessness when Melissa had a high-risk pregnancy with Jacob and I'm standing out in the middle of our, our driveway, helpless, waiting for an ambulance to come because she's hemorrhaging inside and I'm feeling like I'm going to lose my firstborn and I'm helpless to do anything. And I'm crying out to God, and he doesn't seem to be showing up on time. Crying out, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one I love is sick. Come on. And when he heard this, Jesus ran right away and went and healed him, right? Isn't that what Jesus does? No, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified in it. So let me give you a quick summary of what happened in verses 5 to 14. We think that Jesus runs to the rescue, but you know what he did? Nothing. For two days, he did nothing. He hung around, do 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 Hey, Lord, didn't they say something about Lazarus? Yeah, uh-huh. You ever feel like God is just do-do-do? Then two days later, he says, let's go. Let's go. He said, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we need to go wake him up. And the disciples thought he was saying he's just sleeping to get better. And he said, well, if he's sleeping, let's let him get better. And Jesus goes, no, no, I want to let you know something. He's dead. He's dead. And I'm going to go raise him from the dead, is what he was saying. He said, God's going to be glorified in this, that this will not end in death, even though he was dead at the time, even though the situation looked pretty bad, he said, it's not going to stay here. Because even though Mary and Martha and Lazarus said, if you'll come, Jesus says, however it looks, it's not ending there. So he says, let's go. And so what I want to do is I want to look at three characters in this story who feel out of control because their ifs aren't matching up to what they need. And if we are living in the if approaches of life, and that's where they are, in the MTD 
world of our faith, we need to recognize we got to stop doing, if I'm this close to Jesus, these people were close. If I'm this close to Jesus, I say something, he's going to come and he's going to take care of it. The ifs are the shoulds and the wills of our life. And sometimes if we have this MTD approach to God, then we're going to lose something and we're going to be let down. So let's start. The first person I want to start with, Thomas. Let's start with Thomas. Thomas, many of us, this poor guy goes down in history known as Doubting Thomas. He goes Doubting Thomas because after the resurrection he said, if it's you, Lord, let me put my fingers in your hands. And he's going down in history as Doubting Thomas. But his doubting didn't start there. It started right here that we know of. In verse 16, Jesus says, all right, guys, pack up. Let's go to Jerusalem. Now, meanwhile, they knew that people wanted to kill Jesus. And and Jesus knew that. And they're like, hey, we're away from there. We're safe. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus. Everybody say Didymus. Go ahead, yell it out real loud in your your house. Didymus. Okay, sounds like a bad rapper, right? Didymus. All right, P. Didymus. Um, Didymus, Thomas, mean the same thing. Many scholars believe it's a nickname. It means twin. Or it it means one who is a lookalike or a double. And so what many scholars believe is this. Thomas says, oh great. Listen to sarcasm here. Oh great. Let us also go so that we may be like him. So we can go ahead and die just like Lazarus. Oh, yay, let's go. I'm excited. And one of the reasons why Thomas says this is some scholars believing that Thomas and slash Didymus, both meaning twin or um, a, a lookalike or a, um, uh, a double, believe that he got that nickname because he looked like Jesus. So of all the people who have to go back, Thomas is like, oh, great. They're going to mistake me for Jesus, and they're going to kill me. Great. Let's go back. You can put me right next to Lazarus. You see, his if approach was, if I go back, they're going to mistake me for Jesus, and I'm going to be killed. So he wasn't excited about it. Not at all. Look at the sarcasm. Have you been sarcastic at all about this COVID-19 thing? Oh, great. I'm going to go to the store and stand in line, put on my mask, look like I'm going into a a nuclear power plant. People are going to run from me like I got the plague. Oh, this sarcasm that we have with it. But what I want to ask more deeply is has anyone ever had spiritual doubts? Have you ever believed God for something and nothing happens or worse? He takes his good old time. You see, bad happens, and you've tried to live a moral life. You tried to get a better life, and you're not supposed to supposed to have problems as a Christian. And you begin to doubt. So you may be like Thomas, or you may be like Mary, Mary Lazarus' sister. That your if approach is discouragement. What we learn from Mary is, remember Mary was at Jesus' feet and she was pouring perfume and wiping his hair. She loved Jesus. 
Well, that story while Martha was cooking and preparing for everybody, Mary's right there. She trusted him with everything that she had. And she trusted and see that nothing good happens. That she can't get a breakthrough. She can't get a break. And maybe like, like maybe you're like Mary, you're just over it all. You can't get a break. You can't, next morning you get up and you say, okay, today's got to be better and it turns out worse. You say, I can't get a break. I'm just over this. In John 11, verse 20, it said, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But what did Mary do? Stayed at home. This is the Mary who wasn't helping Martha prepare when Jesus was in her house because she was at his feet and Jesus said she chose better. She hears Jesus is coming and she stays home. She's discouraged. She's depressed. She's frustrated. He should have been here two days ago. He should have been here three days ago. Where was he? Why bother? And some of you may be here right now. So discouraged. You feel like you're always going to be alone. You're always depressed. Your marriage will never be good. You're a failure as a parent. You're never going to ever be loved by somebody. You're in a dead-end job or the dead-end job that you were in, you just lost. Or worse, you loved your job and you lost that. You're scared about the world around us and your dreams have just died. But today's Easter. So you put on that game face, and if you were here today, you'd be like, he is risen. He is risen indeed, brother and sister. Hallelujah. But meanwhile, you got the game face on, but inside, you're so discouraged and so broken. It's interesting that when Mary finally goes out, that we see this later in verse 32, it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And what did she say? Her if came out. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Some of you have been saying, Lord, if you had shown up the way you're supposed to, it wouldn't have happened. Mary has gone from being so discouraged that she made her time out there and made her way. You see what it says when she reached the place? See her just moseying out there? Falls down his feet. Lord, if you had only been here. You see, when we get caught in the ifs, it can leave us discouraged, much like Mary. Or maybe you take the Martha approach. And Martha, her if approach is delay. God took so long. This MTD God failed. Or there's something wrong with me. But God, you're taking way too long. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm singing and praising. But you ain't showing up. In John 11, 17 17 and 21, it says, On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. And here, I love, I love, I love, I love the fact. Now remember, he was sick before. 
Now he's been in the tomb for four days. And I love the King James here. Because the King James, when, they, when Jesus later talks about Lazarus and rolling away the stone, Martha says, Lord, he stinketh. Any of you have teenage boys? You understand there's times where they come in your house, they stinketh. This is a guy who's been in a tomb for four days. Now, why is that important? Because during the time of Jesus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and all the disciples, there was a folklore belief, it's not biblical, but there was a folklore belief that if you died, they believed that your spirit hung around for three days. Just in case, boom, it would pop back into the body. So Jesus intentionally waited two days, knowing it would take him another couple days to get there. And guess what? Lazarus was not, Princess Bride fans, mostly dead. He was fully dead. Fully, fully dead. The belief in the culture was, hey, three days, you still got a shot. Four days, no shot at all. None whatsoever. He is fully dead. And Martha says, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. Some of you are tired of delays. Some of you are tired of wanting to be married and it's delayed and you're, you found a lot of people who you thought were Mr. or Miss Right and they've turned out to be wrong. You're saying, God, come on. Or some of you are married and you want to have a child and you're like, come on, God. Come on, God. Get on with it. And you're seeing people all around you have children and you're tired of God delaying. Other of you have been praying for a loved one. Others of you, like the rest of the world, are tired of COVID-19 ruling our world and, and wreaking havoc on people's lives. And you're like, come on, God. Show up and get rid of this thing. We've been praying. We're in our fourth week of praying in Unite 714. Come on, God. Get moving. You said when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I've been doing it. Come on and get on with it. And heal our land. But we need to recognize that God's delays are not his denials. Your ifs are leaving you dead inside. Because that illusion of control is controlling you. And it's just not working for you anymore. You can't control things and your ifs ain't working anymore. So the question I want to ask you. As we wind this down with three small points, what, ask yourself this, what if I surrender fully to God's will? What if I surrender my whole life to God's will? What if my do and my health isn't any better? What if I do and my marriage isn't any better? What if I do and I'm still locked down in the middle of May? God forbid, July or August, and I had no prom, and I have no graduation, and the economy tanks, and I lose my business that I worked so hard to build, or if more of my loved ones die, what do I do? 
I pray God's will. Even if life is difficult and hard. You see, because there's a couple things I want to share. God's will is rarely easy, but it is always good. Wasn't that what it was for Jesus? Jesus never wronged anyone. Yet as we shared about on Good Friday in that service, he was beaten, he was whipped or shredded. He was spit on. He was punched. Spikes were nailed between his wrist and his feet. A crown of thorns was crushed into his head. He was hung naked. He was slaughtered. And he didn't take control, although he could have. At one moment, he could have called down legions. And the world better be glad that this JC, Jack Cohen, was not on the cross. I would have been like, God, come get these suckers. Take them out. No way. But that's not what he did. It's not what Jesus did. What did he say? He chose surrender rather than control. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, it is finished. And the greatest act of surrender, he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, if you can take this cup from me, but yet not my will. Let's not only just talk about Jesus, because sometimes I don't know about you, you're like, that's Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus' mother, Mary. What about her story? Come back to Easter. I mean, come back from Easter to uh, Christmas. Maybe that's the next time we get together. Hopefully it's before that. But Mary, minding her own business, an angel pops in, Gabriel. Tells her, guess what? You're highly favored. Tells her that she is going to go ahead and bear the Messiah. And she surrenders. May it be to me exactly as you say. Knowing all the struggles that were going to happen and what people were going to say about her. And what did she do? She raised Jesus. She raised a perfect child. She raised somebody who was perfect in every way. And what was her reward for that? She watched her son suffer and be tortured and be slaughtered and be crucified and take his last breath right in front of her. And she couldn't do one thing to minimize or stop it. But it all started with surrender. May it be to me as you have said. See, God's will is not always easy. See, Jesus was crucified and he, he, he suffered and died. And it, his will, God's will was not easy on Good Friday. Oh, but three days later. Three days later, God showed he is always good. When the stone was rolled away and the, the women went to the tomb and saw the stone was rolled away and the body wasn't there, and they said, hey, have you taken my Lord? What have you done with him? He's not here. He has risen. You see, once again, God's will is not always easy, but it's always good.
Because before salvation for us happened, there was sacrifice for him. The good of our salvation came through the struggle in the will of God on Good Friday. It wasn't always easy, but God is always good. And so I can call on the name of Jesus. And my sins are forgiven and forgotten because his will is not always easy, but always good. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 26, back to the beginning in Gethsemane. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, there is a key and found in two words of Jesus. It is between the if and the yet. But the problem is, everything in our world and our culture tells us to live for ourselves, to take control, to take charge. In Matthew 10, 39, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Jesus said this, you cling to your life. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. To follow Jesus is to surrender control. Number two, real faith and life begin between if and even now. How do I know that? Remember Martha's ifs? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, even though he was fully dead. But in John eleven twenty two, 22, she says, right after she said, if you had been here, if you had been here, but then she says, yet even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now. Faith and full life comes about when you get from if and you trust in the yet and even now of God. We are caught up in the ifs of our world. If we have to stay in the house longer, if I get this then, if this happens to us, if the, the economy tanks then, if this happens and if I don't get to graduate and if I don't get to go to this school and if I, if, 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 because we have no control over that. But we can put our faith and trust in the one who does have control and holds the future. Because God's will is never easy, it's always good, and faith and life come to full fruition in between if and even now. For Martha it did, and for us it does too. So many of us are trying so hard to control this. And you know, I I saw someone give this illustration And I want to share it with you today. We are about 20 inches from control and surrender. You say, what are you talking about, Jack? 20 inches. It's about, roughly about 20 inches from my knee to the bottom of my feet. And when I control things, when you love to control things, you want to stand firm. I'm going to control. That way I can move and I can go. When I'm controlling, I can do that. But when you surrender, it's this. When you surrender your life, that means you're vulnerable. That means you can't control everything. And if we 
we can't control anything 20 inches higher. So why do we try? Oh God, if you could just take care of this. If you could go ahead and move in my life. God, if you could move in my family, if you could move in our world, that would be awesome. But even now, I know what it looks like. But even now, I know, and I'm going to trust and surrender my life to you. So many of us need to get back on our knees in prayer. And to surrender our lives and not to try to praise God and to pray, but control our lives. But to give control of our life up to him. So my question is on this Easter, what is it you are trying to control that you need to surrender? There is no partial surrender. One knee down, I'm not surrendered. We live in difficult times right now. In our lives in our work, in our church. And I want to tell you, I have great love and great concern for all of you. We talked about Jesus the shepherd, and I remember when I was in grad school and seminary, I had a pastor that shared about Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, and laid down his life for his sheep, and he said, you need to be just like the good shepherd. And I think of all of you, I pray for all of you, I go sleepless many times to make sure, sh- to do one thing just so that one person can go ahead and connect a little bit better to Jesus. And as the shepherd, I miss the flock. I miss looking over here and seeing Wes Hewitt and hearing an amen here and there. I miss seeing Chris and the kids that are here. I miss Heather's little boys who love the worship and come up in this area. I miss the worship team with me. Praising God. I miss the fact that they would be up here right now as I wind this service down. And I grieve for that time that we don't have together. And I think about the, and ask God for forgiveness for the times where I took our gathering as a body of Christ for granted. So what do I do in this time? As a pastor with a scattered flock, I just got to surrender it all to God. God, if we don't ever get back together, then what happens to the ministries that we support? Oh God, if we don't get together, what happens to our brothers and sisters in Haiti? What happens to Miriam's table? What happens to our discipleship and our growth? What happens to the people in our own community? What happens to those who have death in their family and, and are sick and I can't even go to the hospital? What do we do, God? I just got to surrender it to him. John eleven twenty five. After Martha went from her if, if you had been here, to but even now, Jesus looked at her and said this. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. You who, Martha, 
It's me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Not the situation. Life isn't about the stuff out here. I am that. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her a very, very important question. Do you believe this? You see, the resurrection is not an event. It's not a human history check mark, even though we look at it that way. The resurrection is a hymn. The life is a hymn. So no matter what happens, all the ifs in this world, wherever the ifs go, because of my belief in him, the resurrection and the life, I will never die. I will never die. So my question to you today on this Easter is, do you believe this? Are you willing and ready to surrender your whole life and your whole selves to the resurrection, to the if even now, not the if, the even now, of the resurrection and the life in Jesus Christ? Because God's will is never easy. Oh, it's not going to get easier. Read the book of Acts. It didn't get easy for him. But it was always good. It was always good. Remember this week and each day of our lives, as we surrender daily, you don't always have the power to control. Oh, but we all have the ability to surrender to him. God, as we come to you today on this Easter, we come to you to worship the resurrection and the life. And God, we know that there are so many ifs in our lives. Help us not get so distracted by those ifs. Help us not be Thomas in doubt. Help us not be merry and be discouraged. And help us not get caught up in the if of delay of Martha. But Lord, let us move from the if to the even now and the yets of our lives. That we recognize that yes, your will is never easy, but you are always good. And so God, right now, I pray for everybody in the sound of my voice. That we will hear the voice of Jesus here today. We will hear him and we will see him saying, I am the resurrection of life. That there may be people all over in the sound of my voice that aren't just standing there, that aren't just sitting in their chairs, that right now they say, God, I am going to physically change my position. I'm going to shrink myself by 20 inches, and I am going to surrender my life and this whole world to you, this COVID-19, this epidemic and pandemic that is just riddled the world. We know that greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And the one that is in me is the resurrection and the life. So no matter what happens in my ifs in this world, that I will never die because I serve a risen Savior. And he's alive forevermore. Amen. As we stay in this moment of surrender, Several years ago, we had the joy of having our own Michelle Kip and her sister Tammy were here. And they sang a song called, I've Just Seen Jesus. I pray that today you will see Jesus. And as you worship, 
God in this time, in this song, that you will see him more real in your life, that the ifs will go fading away, and you live for the yet and even now. Let's sing this, and I'll close out after it. It is finished, he said. We had watched as his life ebbed away. Then we all stood around till the guards took him down. Joseph begged for his body that day. Well, it was late afternoon. Wrapped his body and sealed up the
If that doesn't make you see Jesus, I don't know what will. I pray that you will have a great and blessed rest of your Easter celebration day. Don't just let today be an event that you celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection and the life is not a thing. It is a him, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I just saw a little bit of Jesus right there in that song, and I hope you were able to see Jesus in your life here today and each and every day. Please take a moment, if you will. Go ahead. Um, I think people have put a link on our Facebook Live. Um, also, if you're at Haven CC, go ahead and take our, our survey and, um, pl- and that information. Please go ahead and fill that out. And mostly, may you recognize that you serve a risen Savior. He is alive forevermore. And we praise his name now and forevermore. I have just seen Jesus, and he is alive and well. And this world, no matter what it throws at us, if COVID-19 takes us all out, we know that Jesus is alive, and because of my faith in him, I serve the resurrection and the life. And because he lives, I shall live also. Happy Easter. God bless. We love you all, and we're going to close out with one more song to give you an opportunity to fill out that survey with the song, to also go ahead and give online. Thank you so much for continuing with your gifts that allow us to continue doing ministry here and around the world. God bless you. Happy Easter. I can't wait till we're all together again, and we can have our own resurrection celebration as the body of Christ. God bless. We'll see you all.
Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus.